Hello, my name is Sam. And my name is Cademan. Welcome to Peace, Love, and Podcasts. This episode of Peace, Love, and Podcasts is made possible by Donna Water and Laura Push. Donna Water has the largest IQ boosting performance, and Laura Push will make sure you never miss a single assignment again. Today, we are going to be talking about the impacts of two different pandemics on the economy and people. That's right. In specific, we will be talking about the Spanish flu and COVID-19. Let's talk about the Spanish flu. So why is the Spanish flu called the Spanish flu? Did it start in Spain? The Spanish flu did not start in Spain, even though it is named after Spain. In 1918, the Great War was going on, and most countries were at war. Spain was one exception. Since they weren't occupied with fighting a war, they were able to report on the virus. The Spanish flu could have started in other countries probably the U.S. or France, and they didn't want to report on it in fear of seeming weak to their enemies. So you're saying that the countries would think that a virus would make them appear weak to the other countries fighting in the war, so they decided to say nothing? Exactly. Would you say that remaining silent actually made them weaker? Yes, I think that it made them weaker, at least in the U.S., because the government was not revealing the information to the public. People didn't know what to do to stop the virus, so they wouldn't be able to do anything to prevent the spread. So, about how many people were killed in the pandemic? About 50 million people died over the course of the pandemic worldwide. So, did they develop a vaccine to prevent more people from being killed in the pandemic? They didn't develop a vaccine at the time of the pandemic because they didn't know how. The flu was over 100 years ago, and vaccines were a fairly new concept at the time. They didn't have the knowledge or resources to develop one. So without the vaccine, how did the virus affect citizens of the different countries? Well, we actually have somebody today to talk about how the Spanish flu affected her family. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for talking to us today. No problem. It's great to be here. So, how was your family affected by the flu? So, my grandmother was born to a German immigrant who was a salesman, and my great-grandmother was of mixed race. And so, the traveling salesman, which was my great-grandfather, he sort of had, like, the separate family on the side. My grandmother just told me that she remembers being in a, a small room with her mom and her other siblings, and her dad wasn't there, and hearing my great-grandmother take her last breath because she was sick from the flu. And after that, my great-grandfather didn't really want to take care of her and her siblings, my grandmother and her siblings. So he took them to an orphanage and basically just left them there. Do you think your life has been impacted by the flu or would it be similar if the Spanish flu hadn't happened? I definitely think my life has been impacted by the flu that happened all those years ago. Luckily, my grandmother and her siblings got adopted into kind of a well-off family in the South. But who's to say if that hadn't happened, what her life would have been like, for better or for worse? She ended up on a different path. She met my grandfather in college. The fact is, lots of women didn't even get to go to college back then. So you're saying that pandemics can even affect multiple generations of people, even if they didn't experience the pandemic themselves? I definitely think that pandemics can affect multiple generations of people even way down the line. Like I said, my family was affected by the flu 100 years ago. And I do think that, you know, a whole generation of people, even 
that have had to experience the COVID-19 pandemic will we'll be seeing effects for a long time, especially for students who have been in school and having to deal with that situation. But besides that, I can't even begin to think of all the other things that could result from this. Thank you for sharing this with us today. We are now going to talk about COVID-19, the virus we are currently living through. So, Sam, where did COVID-19 start? COVID-19 started in Wuhan, China. And do we know how it started? We are currently unsure about how the virus started. The first people who got it died. But one theory on its origin is that it was spread to humans from a species of bat. Another possibility is that it was being experimented on in a lab and then mutated, creating the virus. But however it started, we know it spread rapidly from person to person and eventually crossed the entire planet. So, how many people have caught the virus so far on the whole planet? Over 263.9 million people have been infected by the virus, but only 5.2 million of them have died. So, there have still been less people killed than in the Spanish flu, correct? Yes, there are 44.8 million more deaths in the Spanish flu than COVID-19. There have also been half as many people infected, but COVID-19 still could pass the Spanish flu if we don't do anything to stop it. We are now going to hear from Kristen Bruns, a doctor at Oklahoma Heart Institute. We will ask her about the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on her and her patients. Welcome, and thank you for taking time today to talk to us about the COVID-19 pandemic. Sure. Thanks for having me. So how would you say this affected your patients? Did it make it harder to take care of them? Well, I think a lot of my patients are considered high risk because I treat older people with diabetes and other chronic conditions. So many of them experienced a lot of isolation during the pandemic and a lot of fear and anxiety about even leaving their homes. Since we're living in an age of technology, though, we have been able to implement telemedicine visits. So we've been able to connect with people and help to continue to care for their chronic diseases through a telemedicine platform. Did all the hospital beds being filled by COVID affect your ability to take care of your patients? Most of the patients that I treat are in an outpatient clinic setting. However, when I did have patients become more acutely ill, it was always a concern as to whether or not we would be able to have a bed open for them in the hospital. So there were definitely people who had to go to other cities or even other states to be hospitalized, even for fairly routine procedures, like having their appendix out or people who are having a heart attack. So yes, it it definitely did. What is your opinion of the vaccine? Well, I assume you're asking mostly about the newer technology, the mRNA vaccines. Is that right? Yes. So I think the mRNA vaccines against the COVID-19 virus represent a landmark scientific achievement for uh, us as the whole world. So these vaccines have a very brilliant mechanism of action that has not been utilized or available in other vaccines. The technology for these vaccines is really not that new Uh, The technology is being looked at for treatment of other various illnesses like cancer. Ideally, we would have years and years of safety data on any new medication or vaccine or procedure for that matter. But the reality is that 
there's a high fatality rate with COVID-19 in our more vulnerable patients. And so we can't really have it both ways. So we can't allow for an extended period of time to go on to ensure that the vaccines are 100% safe. The safety data look quite good with the vaccine. So I certainly recommend to all of my patients to be vaccinated, particularly those who are at high risk of developing severe or fatal disease. From your professional standpoint, how do you think the world has reacted to COVID-19? I would say the reaction has been very heterogeneous. So I think what this pandemic has uncovered is a lack of science literacy, at least in the U.S. population. I can't speak to the whole world, obviously. And the problem of people getting their science information from, other, from lay people or social media has posed a real problem for ending this pandemic. It is an easy way for uh, misinformation to be propagated. And some people have certainly responded with a lot of caution and care about their fellow human beings, and others have not responded in that same way. So I think we've seen a very heterogeneous response. What are some conspiracy theories your patients talk about, or do your patients talk about conspiracy theories at all? Certainly, when the vaccines first came out, I heard a lot of people asking about different conspiracy theories. That has really tapered off over the last few months. One of the more common conspiracy theories is that the vaccine contains some type of nano trackers that can track where you go or can even control what you think. That is obviously a conspiracy theory, but had been a prominent reason why a lot of people did not get the vaccine. Other conspiracy theories related to the vaccine specifically was that somehow this mRNA vaccine could work backwards and embed itself into your DNA and thereby your DNA could become patented by the drug companies or some such (laughs) theories not based in any type of scientific fact. Thank you for your time. Here's a brief recap of what we talked about today. The worldwide estimate death toll of the Spanish flu was 50 million and COVID-19 is 5.2 million. We also talked about how pandemics can have lasting effects that continue for several generations. The Spanish flu did not have any vaccine, but there are several good vaccines to prevent infection from COVID-19 and make it harder to spread the virus. We should use the resources and knowledge we have available today that wasn't available at the time of the Spanish flu to keep yourself and everyone around you safe. That's all for now. See you next time.